Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity, and I'm your host, Gary Turner. I'm also the founder of HexoChange, and HexoChange is a transformational change practice dedicated to helping you connect to yourself, to others, and to systems at large in a more meaningful way, thus helping us turn around our workplace and planetary challenges and accelerating how alive we all feel in every aspect of our lives. This track is called Kaleidoscope and was created for me personally and for HexoChange by Peter Griffiths, one half of the amazing Mind Takeaway. I hope you enjoy this exploration and please do share it on your social platforms so we can bring more humanity to more people. Hope to speak to you soon. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability, a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. And today I'm really excited to introduce you, the listener, to Andy Davis, who is Head of Global Enablement at People First. Good afternoon, Andy. Good afternoon, Gary. It's uh, great to be with you. So uh, yeah, lovely to be on the podcast and uh, glad we could get it together eventually. No, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Um, as we get going, would you mind just give, giving my listeners just a bit more background as to who you are and also, you know, Head of Global, uh, global Enablement for People First. Maybe some people do, maybe some people don't know who People First are. So a little bit of introduction about you and also about the, the business as well would be great. Yeah, sure, definitely. Uh, well, I'm a HR professional. I've been in HR for uh, 20 odd years now. Um, I'm kind of beginning to drop off the 20 years thing because it get, it's starting to get to be a frightening number. Uh, so yeah, basically a long time. And, uh, you know, I had the immense pleasure of working in the Air Force, uh, got to the rank of squadron leader. Um, and, you know, yeah, my, my whole focus there was on project management and HR. So I got to work uh, around the globe. Um, uh, yeah, whether it's implementing people policies, whether it's implementing HR systems or working with people and, uh, yeah, just make, making things better for quite a lot of people and, and the families, which was really cool job. And, uh, yeah, eventually got to the point of having an opportunity to leave the air force and go out and try something different. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've worked in various different jobs from, uh, being, uh, working in a university, working in the council, uh, doing some freelance work as well, and eventually uh, landing on my feet with uh, MHR and um, joining a fantastic HR consultancy team, which eventually led me into uh, the people first world. And, and that's that's the whole thing about where we can get to today. So if you want me to tell you just a little bit about the head of global enablement, because it's a grandiose title, isn't it? <laughs> it's a lovely title. So yeah, do, 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 do expand. That'd be great. Yeah, so um, I work with a brilliant piece of software called People First. It's a HRIS platform. Uh, we can integrate to a variety of other different platforms, be it benefits, payroll, etc. Uh, we do that on a global basis. Uh, so, so my job um, is the best job in the company, although I try not to tell too many people about it. Um, I, I get to work with partners um, and customers around the globe. So I, my primary job is to go out and train those partners to be able to sell and consult uh, on People First. And then, you know, through a revenue share model, then, you know, they become our partners and, uh, and we all become very successful in it. And equally in the, in the kind of the UK aspect of it, I lead on the implementations and the early adopter program as well. And so that's about getting the feedback from people to uh, improve the products as well. So, yeah, it's a, it's a varied job. It keeps me busy. Um, but I can honestly tell you that I uh, get out of bed in the morning and uh, I look forward to going to work. Well, what, what, what more can you want, uh, to, to be honest? I'd like to explore that. I'll come back to that bit with you, Andy, if I may. Sure, yeah. I'd like to go back to your Royal Air Force history, though, because I, I find it so fascinating. You know, in a world, you know, people talk about, you know, the, the job for life's gone, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but yeah. 
But, but I think it's amazing what you did, because I think you had, what, nine roles over your sort of 12 oh. years or so, I think, Andy? Yeah, I, I think it was a few more than that. I, my, my LinkedIn profile kind of cut short, um, sort of starts midway through my career. So, yeah, I, I had an incredibly varied uh, time in the Air Force, uh, as I say, brilliant time. Worked all over the place. And, yeah, that's one of the things that, the you know, for, for me, I, I joined the Air Force for was, was the travel, would be able to move around jobs, have a variety of jobs in a variety of locations. Um, and, and, yeah, it, it, it's very different. Um, there's a lot of people that kind of look at that and uh, you know say well that wouldn't have been for me at that time of my life and hey you know we're all different mm-hmm. um, but uh, but for me it was the right thing to do I, I gained a huge amount out of it uh, in terms of the experience in, in different jobs with different uh, outcomes required it's great it was, it was, a, it was a great way of life um, again it's just got to the end of my time that I wanted to go and do something different um, probably wanted a bit of uh, stability as well uh, so yeah it's everything everything moves on doesn't it and you go you you said the words job for life and it's really interesting that I think when I joined the Air Force there was that absolute expectation amongst virtually all the people that I joined with and worked with that they would be there until you know the day they retired at somewhere around the the 50s you know 55 um I don't think I was ever in that that, that club really I always saw myself leaving earlier than that because I wanted to go and do something different um and uh yeah uh again I, I just praised the fact that it was a fantastic experience and seeing that whole job for life thing uh, across many different companies now as a consultant and you see how that affects uh the workforce and what their motivations are and what their output and the productivity uh affects because of that thought as to whether they're entitled to a job for life whether they're mm-hmm. concerned about their immediate future it's really interesting it, it's a, it's fascinating in terms of being you know um, a hr professional and somebody that studied hr studied businesses and everything else and you see how it works it, it's it's quite incredible of the effects that those thoughts that people have about their future actually has on the output of the business that's really cool. Again, right to the juggler for me here, uh, Andy. I love that. Um, I, I, I think it was really fascinating what you just said for me around this sort of thinking thing is that, you know, when I, when I use the term job for life, I use it a little bit tongue in cheek. But I, 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 what you're describing for me resonates so much because, you know, I'm someone like you that likes a new challenge, likes to grow, likes to you know, learn new things. And I think we're all innately that way. And I think the system of a job for life was actually far more negative thing for people's growth oh, yeah. than positive yeah well yeah but you, you see you say that um and i i recently went and gave a disrupt hr talk okay and uh, it was all about when was the last time you did something for the first time mm. and it was it was driving at the fact of innovation and newness okay within the business and what i said within that talk and i've written it in articles as well on linkedin is that i go and uh, i go around to businesses all the time and uh, and I've worked with people in this in this field as well, where you'll speak to them about when was the last time you did something for the first time? I, when did you do something new? And they'll kind of look at you in a quizzical way and say, well, why do I need to do that? I just want to sit here and not be bothered for the next 10, 15 years until retirement. Mm. And, you know, that that to me kind of really sends shudders through me because I've, I can't get my head around that. That's never been me as a person. Um, but the, the amount of people that, that actually still expect that to be the case. And, and if we go back 20, 30 years, for some people, they may have actually got themselves into a job where they could see out a job to retirement and use those words. 
but now actually we, we live in such a fast paced environment in the external environment that changes every day uh, globalization where the new markets are where new competitors are that really everybody in every business has a responsibility to actually look outward and, and be ready for change and accepting of change in order to maintain that competitive advantage and if you as a business can't do that with your people within the business, then there's a very great chance that you're not going to survive more than a few years. Mm, it's really fascinating, isn't it? I, m- I remember seeing the, I think, was it that, um, some of the big companies dropped off the Dow. I think it was GE, wasn't it, a few years ago, dropped out the Dow index in the US. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's some amazing um, uh, GIFs or, or videos, rather, that keep on cropping up on uh, things like LinkedIn and, and Yahoo News and all that kind of stuff every, every now and again. And what it does is it actually charts the top 20 companies in the world over the last 100 years and it will show their their kind of revenue growth and it will show you know the likes of uh, i don't know general electric sort of being somewhere up in the top and some of the oil companies uh, shell and bp companies like that that are right up at the top and then as it kind of rolls through the years you see these companies dropping down and you see the big uh, IT companies raising upwards and then of course you get to the mid to late 90s and you, call, you get uh, Google and Apple enter the fray and then of course you get into the 2000s and all of a sudden Amazon's in there as well and all of these traditional companies are absolutely pushed down and that's the kind of thing that I, I think that's fascinating to watch really. Yeah, so, so, in, in terms of that Andy because I think what's interesting you know we're still we're still buying products, aren't we? We're still consuming. We're still offering services. So those things are still there. I think, is it a distortion of the value of those companies just because they are so exponential in their growth that they're taking exponential revenue growth with them? Or is there, is there a real life sort of tangible, you know, exponential value through these organizations? I'm still trying to work that out myself, you know. Oh, you know, I... I often wonder that, okay, because again, you know, what's, what's the value of something? It's what, prepared, what people are prepared to pay for, isn't it? And you look at some of these massive ticket numbers against some of these IT companies now, um, and you, 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 know, you do wonder what, where that value's come from. And a lot of it is in the IP that they've actually generated in the background, you know, that hopefully is unrepeatable by others, and that's where they gain the majority of the money from. Um, for others, it'll actually be in reputation, you know, how do you measure reputation in pounds, shillings and pence? Um, it's, it's really difficult. Okay. And I, I, I look at it and think, well, actually a hundred years ago, you, would, would these companies have had such an impact at the time? Well, of course they wouldn't because the infrastructure wasn't there for them. So they, they wouldn't have had a product, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So, the, so that they are at this moment in time, the right thing equally a hundred years ago, it was the rise of probably the petroleum companies that really actually made it big. And I just wonder what that next big thing is going to be in another 100 years. Maybe it is the, uh, the hoverboard companies that, that will be there then. Oh, it might be you with, your, uh, with people first on the hoverboard. You never know. Well, well, absolutely. By then, everybody will have the people first app on the phone. And uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's how it's going. So let's talk a little bit about that, Andy, actually. I'm really interested. So you sort of advised us that you're, you're head of rolling out, you know, training your partners on this platform. Yeah. For my education, also for the listeners as well, do you mind just giving me just a sort of, you know, a two-minute lowdown on, you know, what actually is the People First platform and how does it actually serve organisations? I'm really interested to learn. So, yeah, uh, People First uh, is a HRIS uh, platform so within there um, you've got a fantastic suite of, of, of modules including things like uh, social engagement um, whether it's the core HR offering 
uh, whether it's learning, recruitment, uh, talent management, um, goals, but it's, a, it's how it's built, it's how it's architectured, the fact that it's built on APIs, we can, um, because it's built on APIs, we can connect it to uh, loads of different types of software, that, you know, be it payroll, be it benefits, Salesforce, even that, that kind of uh, uh, platform. But what we do is, is, is probably very different to others. We, we look at it about the relationship between the manager and the employee and absolutely go back to basics on it that over the, over the last probably 20, 30 years, we've had this rise of organization where employees have a relationship with HR rather than their manager. And that, that to us is wrong, that actually if I put in leave, it shouldn't be authorized by an external person. It should be authorized by my manager. So we, we want to put that at the heart of things to begin with. Um, we want to actually make it an open and transparent system so that people can collaborate, people can share ideas in the same way that people have social media platforms. We have you know, people first that you can have closed and open groups. You can post, you can recognize each other on a complete free flowing basis. You don't again have to go and seek permission uh, to actually do that. If you want to say thanks to somebody for a great job that they've done, you simply open up the recognitions tab and do it. And that's in reflection of the fact that, and I take this as a small example, uh, Gary, that in, in years gone by, it would have been people like me that would have put in place processes to, uh, here's an application form, you want to say thanks to somebody, fill out this form, and in three months' time, we'll hold a committee and decide if we can say thanks to them. That's rubbish. That's old HR, and we shouldn't go back to that. We should absolutely give people the tools to do things on a, a in-the-moment basis because that's what people demand now. And that's very much part of the ethos of people first as well. Um, and yeah, that's, again, it's going back to this vulnerability that we, we talked of that, you know, that's probably me self-reflecting and saying, I was part of the problem in the past, um, but I can't begin to tell you it's great being on this side of the fence and looking forward and saying, hey, this is how we absolutely should be doing business because what we did in the past just, it, it doesn't work anymore. Yeah, it's, it's really powerful actually. I think, as you say, talking about vulnerability, you speak about, you know, you've, you've learned over the years, Andy, from, you know, call it the older ways of working to where you are now. What, what are some of those, maybe one or two of those biggest shifts maybe that you've learned yourself personally between, you know, you starting your career and where you are right now? Oh, oh dear. Oh, there's, there's so many, isn't there? Uh, I think probably when I first started my career, I was absolutely focused on rigid hierarchy, rigid processes. Um, and passionately believe that, you know, process was king in terms of actually that, you know, you follow process to, to the nth degree and look, look at that now and, and just think, you know, that that just doesn't fly that uh, to have a more fluid structure in a business absolutely helps to actually have things like project teams that you can move from seamlessly to actually go and deliver better benefit for people rather than actually putting a task into a team where really there isn't the skills you kind of need to bring the team together to deliver an outcome and then send them back to go and do the next job for different projects again that's probably the first thing and and yeah the processes that go along that everybody's different you know trying to take a a process and force people through a process you're going to break something and it's either going to be the people or the process and then in my experience, we've not done very well actually looking after the people pushing through processes. So yeah, the the sort of rigid hierarchy moving to more of a fluid hierarchy and the, the process is not being about one size fits all. It's about actually 
what what's the right answer what's the right thing to do for the people yeah that's, that's really lovely um what's coming up for me andy is as you spoke there is around you know you're doing this fantastic work with people soft uh, with people, people uh, first, first yeah. you know yeah. i can see the value of it i totally can but I'm also sensing that moving from that old world, you spoke about that hierarchy, people are used to being and probably feel quite safe to be in that job spec or that box that they've grown up with. How, how do people in your experience sort of become more human in themselves as a human? As yeah, they all, yeah. Because you know, as you have more transparency with a platform like yours, that could be quite scary for some people. Yeah, I, th I think it will be for some. Um, uh, and again, this this harks back to the the notion of who's comfortable with technology, because uh, you know. Uh, and Gary, I'm going to go back to this, and I hope that you'll smile when I say this. But I remember sitting in the first office that I was in with a typewriter on the desk, trying to put a piece of paper in it and get it into the right box, and then <laughs> type the appropriate answer into it. And I'm sure that you you're in that crowd as well, right? You remember that? Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, uh, <laughs> now. Yeah. When I look now at actually at today's workforce and you, you see the people that have joined the workforce in the last 20 odd years that I've been at work, more and more people actually just have an expectancy that they come to work and the tech that they're given is not, not just good tech, but really good tech, decent, absolutely, you know, cutting edge tech that they can do their job on. Because we all know that one of the most demotivating factors for anybody at work is when you don't actually have the tools to do your job. Mm -hmm. And these days, if like my job, my job relies on me having a phone and a laptop that work. Absolutely. There's no question about it. And for, for a company now, if you can't provide that to somebody, then they're now turned off. Whereas 25 years ago, that was a different experience. That wasn't the case then, was it? It wasn't a such a major factor for most people whereas now virtually every job that you go to you're relying on the piece of tech that you use even if it's just the swipe card system when you get into work you're relying on it actually working mm. and in terms of i'm really intrigued you know i'm using this podcast andy openly as education for me as much as anything <laughs> no it's good don't worry it's good it's good for everyone it's beneficial to the to the listener as well so if you were looking at the sort of unique selling points of the the people first platform what, what, what is it that if i was coming into you as a you know as a potential buyer of your system because what, what would you be saying to me are the real benefits that, that you'd be able to sort of yield fairly quickly for me uh, first of all, it's the, the speed of implementation, the fact that we can get this thing in within a couple of days up and working quite happily. Oh, wow. okay. um, and, and part of that is because when we actually design and build the system, we, 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 we've, we've been in this business for, you know, as a company for 30 odd years. Uh, John Mills has done an amazing job actually building uh, a company and having all this experience and these amazing people that I work with. Um, so we've, we're not new to this game. So the, the point is that we actually understand and we we know we know at a current level a cutting edge level what it is that people actually want in a system so we actually build that into a system so rather than having to build all the roles the workflows um all the different security we, we actually ship that as a norm so that's why i go back to this bit of the speed of implementation those two things together enable a company to get up and rolling really quickly but all of this is available on an app so on my phone, I can quickly download an app. I can start using a chat bot, whether I can hook it up to my Outlook calendar. I can get a daily briefing about what I've got on in the day. I can book my leave through it. I can talk into it and book my leave. 
I can set myself as, um, you know, not to be disturbed. So it'll screen my emails or it'll send through the VIP emails to me. And that's all through a chatbot. And I can expand out that chatbot as much as I want. But I can also toggle between that and the actual product on my phone within the same app. So all of a sudden, I've got this really powerful being in my hand. And I can do this 24-7. Um, I can book my leave when I'm sat in the travel agent or sat on the sofa on a Saturday night trying to book a holiday. I can do absolutely all of that without having to be on site on this company's Wi-Fi on the company's laptop. Now that for most people is game changing. That's, that's amazing. What, what I'm also sensing is you know, that there's been rightly or wrongly a lot of challenge that, you know, trying to move HR away from more administrative functions into something more yeah. high value or yeah. strategic. It yeah. sounds to me that people first is absolutely a key enabler to help those people step up. Andy. Yeah. And there's, yeah, we, we, we again, drive ourselves about this whole thing of you know the future of work the future of hr how how do we make this better for people and we talk about this whole thing of stripping out the transactional nature of, of hr and things like the chatbot you know giving people ownership of their own data just a really simple thing that if i move house this weekend i andy davis should go and change my address not send an email or fill out a form to get somebody in hr to do it again that's what we did 20 years ago. We, we, we absolutely can't be doing that anymore because it's not right. Um, so we, we do that again through the app and we, we also try to then give people a bit more power for themselves. So one of the, well, the features uh, that, that we can do through the, the chatbot is we can have actually an assessment of how we're doing, our sentiment analysis. So at the end of the day, uh, I can get some pictures come up on my phone. Would you like to take you you know your, your, your daily briefing and I can say yes let's do it now and on the pictures I can select that I was energized I was engaged and uh, I've, I felt supported and what that's going to do is that's going to take the elements of that it's going to take some elements about my skills from within the system as well and it's going to bring it together into a flow graph and it's going to chart for me not to be able to see by anybody else just for me where I am in terms of flow so how am I feeling? Am I in the flow at work? And is that working for me? God, and this is literally, so it's a day, let's say almost pulse, pulse checks, basically. It, uh, do you know what? I'm even going to say it's better than that, okay? Because, because a pulse check, it still requires somebody to then crunch the outcomes, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. the, and actually they, they go away and say to the business, okay, yeah, you know, <clears throat> 200 people did the pulse survey <clears throat> and 62% thought that, you know, the parking on the North car park wasn't very good and we need a, a shuttle service. That, that's, that still requires that analysis and it's still corporate wide, whereas this is about me as a person. Mm -hmm. And this is what makes it really cool that, um, and, and you know, this, this whole flow thing, um, you know, Chickson Mihaly, um, and I hope I've pronounced that right, uh, wrote this fantastic book called Flow. And it's the classic words, how to achieve happiness. And maybe we can post a link to that in your, uh, in your podcast uh, uh, narrative at the bottom. And uh, people can have a read of that. And you can also have a read of the stuff on YouTube. It's, it's really famous. But, but, you know, flow of the assessment itself, we talk about being in the flow. Uh, and he describes it as like a state of ecstasy. So if you think about those moments when you get in from work, you say, I've had a fantastic day today. I've, I've been so proud. I've had a brilliant day everything's gone gone perfectly well that's kind of you being in the flow because he describes about hours passing by minutes days passing by and hours that that kind of sense of ecstasy that goes on when you're so focused that all of the outside parameters are shut out and you're just literally being productive 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 all the way through and 
if we can actually help people to realize when they're in or out of the flow it gives them the power to then actually do something about it so not in a big brother way but what we then do is we then give them the opportunity to have a check-in so that ongoing constant conversation between a manager and employee where i can sit down with my manager and say hey i've got my flow assessment and you know what according to this uh, there's too much challenge in my job for where i am so i'm out of flow can we talk about this Cool. I'm absolutely buzzing at that prospect, Andy. Seriously. And that, I yep. think it's so, so powerful. How, I guess with a lot of your work, is part of your work with this as well, then to some extent training up new managers then? Because if I came to a, a line manager, of, let's say, of the past, yeah. with that usage, I would have been turned around and gone, what are you on about? Don't be so fluffy. Get out in the office. So I guess yeah, exactly. cultural element of this, so to adopt your, your, your people first as well, I would imagine. Yeah, we, we spend a lot of time with, with, with customers and partners um, looking at the whole change uh, process that needs to take place. And, you know, whether that's built into our project plans, whether we uh, help and coach them through it, uh, we approach it in a variety of ways. But at the end of the day, whether you're putting in a HRS system, whether you're wanting to roll out some of those extra features of it, it's still about change management. It's still about that communication getting people ready for it, explaining the outcomes, probably starting with a pilot scheme to actually show some of those benefits and then rolling it out further, celebrating some of those early adopters and those early wins, uh, you know, and, and challenging and going, talking to people. And then some of the great, the greatest ever conversations come out of the people that are negative about something. Mm. Uh, and, and what we, what we always seem to do is shy away from actually going and speaking to people who actually have something, what is perceived to be negative Go and talk to them. Actually, the greatest learning comes out of those people often. That's great. And it really speaks to one of the themes of this podcast, which is around vulnerability. And I think it does take, for me, okay, the flip side of vulnerability could be courage, but to, to have those conversations, Andy, with those dissenters. Now, you've yeah. given a good example of, of the value of that. Yeah, always. I'd never, you know, a dissenter is, is merely a, a voice that you should go and actually listen to and work out why, where's the dissent coming from? Um, you know, part of the problem is that the majority of people sit there in silence. And if you're sitting there in silence, uh, one, you know, one of two things is going on. Either you're silent because you're in agreement with it anyway, or you're silent because you don't want to speak up. Well, I'd far rather go and speak to somebody that's prepared to talk about why they disagree. Um, and we should be doing that. We should be doing that whatever project we're working on, um, not simply shutting people down. Go and talk to them. You'll, you'll, you'll learn something. Oh, that's, that's really powerful, powerful messaging, Andy. I, I had um, Amy Edmondson from Harvard Business School on episode 29 of this podcast talking about psychological safety. Oh, right, yeah. Um, and I think that's, you know, you're talking about flow, talking about, you know, having these more constructive conversations. For me, there is definitely something around augmenting people and a platform like yours, and that's safety. Too yeah. Would you agree or challenge with that from your side? I, I, listen, I, I love the idea of, of people having that safety. Um, and I think, and we see this all the time, right? So you, like me, end up at various different conferences or wherever giving presentations. And at the end of it, I guarantee that you'll say the words, has anybody got any questions? And three or four people will bravely ask a question on the microphone. And as soon as you finish, as soon as you stepped off the stage, and the same with me, I'll get another 10 people actually come up and ask a question that they really wanted to ask, but weren't going to do it in front of everyone. And that, that's the thing that that's just human nature that, you know, through people first, by giving people those checking abilities, 
with their manager to actually have that one-on-one -on -one conversation to actually record the outcomes of it and then go back to it at some point in the future that is that safety net for people that they don't actually have to you know stand up and uh, in a meeting and actually ask that question they can go and have that conversation one-to-one -one afterwards lovely I, I was reading a really cool article of yours that you posted um quite a short while ago um and around in search of excellence following a you know um yeah Tom peter's book previously i'm just yeah. really fascinating article i'll make sure i post a copy of that a link to that as well in the show notes this podcast but what's Thanks. your what's your view and again it's just your view i'm just really interested what's your view on hr over the next sort of you know five or ten years or what's your desire for hr over the next five to ten years as platforms like people first become more mainstream um i i think the the real fundamental is for for HR teams to really go and sit and work with both IT and finance to sit down and ask the question, how can we uh, digitalize and automate our processes and be really brave about it? Because uh, every day, I, again, I have this wonderful job of going out to speaking to a wide variety of people. And so many times I hear the words, yeah, we do it all on Excel. And you know, there's, there's so many, there's so many occasions where with a little bit of research, a little bit of, of investment, um, which actually will provide the savings to more than cover the investment, people can actually go out and automate and digitalize their processes. And it's not only about the result that that delivers for the HR team, but it's actually about the service that is then delivered to the customers by actually doing that. And I'd, I'd absolutely encourage HR teams to, to go out and be brave about that. And even if you, you know, you're under the cosh of, of financial restrictions, still go out and do the research because go and look at the ROI that will probably actually provide you the business case to then actually go out and still spend some money because you'll still benefit from it in the longer term, especially if you start looking at your own retention rates as well. No, such, such great advice. It's something that keeps coming back to me. Um, and as I have these conversations, particularly the last month or so is, we're so often looking, like I understand the ROI is an important metric, certainly for financial people, but I still question whether at times as businesses, we're thinking about the opportunity cost of mm, not yeah. tapping into those people. You know, what are we not getting from people that are already paying salaries to because yeah. they're seen or they're not heard or they're too afraid to speak up? Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely part of it as well. It's, um, it's probably a bit more difficult to even you know, quantify that. It's, uh, it's really difficult to quantify an ROI at times. The opportunity cost, um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that would be down to actually people to say what it would be like in the future if they did have this sort of thing, wouldn't it? You, otherwise, you wouldn't be able to, to get to the bottom of it. But yeah, if, if people can absolutely look forward and rather than just be guardians of a process or guardians of what went on in the past, uh, and, and be focused on compliance if people can actually just take a few minutes just to look at that uh, that digitalization journey that's out there for people to to really transform what they offer because it leads into other things and we talked about flow assessment that's the kind of thing that you wouldn't be able to do if you didn't actually have some sort of uh, IT provision in place you'd, you'd never get to that yeah and I, and I love how you've spoken a couple of times during this this discussion about being brave and I think you know, I say it to myself, I say it to you, and, and to everyone listening, you know, if you're in HR or if you're running your own business, you know, let's all be a bit braver about stepping into the things we don't know about. You know, it's okay, it's okay not to know, but I think it's criminal not to at least try and understand. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, hopefully people can listen to something like this and actually want to actually go and find out a bit more information. 
Um, and, and honestly, there's, there's people out there that absolutely will spend time with you and talk to you about what's out there. And, you know, yeah, put, you just put, put to one side this whole sales pitch notion at the moment. When you're next, at, whether it's a CRPD conference or, or whatever it is, or Unleash, go and talk to people. Go and talk to the experts that have stood at the stands and actually go and ask them and challenge them. You know, how, how can you add to my business? What, what digital solutions can you bring that's going to actually deliver me benefit? Lovely. Um, you, you said a, a part of your uh, LinkedIn bio, um, Andy, you speak about that networking is really important to you. Yeah. I can see, you know, I can hear it, you can hear your energy, which is wonderful. But why is networking so important to you as Andy, out of interest? Oh, um, I, again, I probably started on this whole networking journey um, only a few years into being in the Air Force because, again, I go back to this thing that I always knew at some point, I'd, I'd be leaving the Air Force and want to talk to people about a job. Uh, so that's probably where I actually started with this. But what, one of the things that was, was told to me uh, and I'm even going to say in the mid nineties was that um, build your network for, for the future, not for now. And what that meant was that this, this person was explaining this, that what you can't do is you can't actually go up and sort of, you know, introduce yourself, shake somebody's hand and, and then say the words, you know, can I have a job because, because <laughs> that doesn't work. Does it right? There's no, there's no mutual benefit to each other to actually being in a network. Whereas if you can actually build your network, you can help and support each other over a period of time you can whether it's share articles whether it's point people um you know as ref references in terms of work or in terms of jobs to each other um over time you hopefully build a profile you build some confidence in people as well and that when actually you do go and ask for help whatever help that might look like that actually more people are able to come back to you and and, and help out with that so yeah it's, it's about that paying it forward gary that mm. you know probably that you're you're invested in as well in doing these podcasts that you know you could reach out to a, a range of your network at any point and say i've got this question i need this help i'm trying to help this person uh find a job can anybody in my network um you know provide a bit of assistance you'll get a far far stronger response than actually just literally cold calling people that's so so lovely thank thanks for articulating it that way i think i think it's wonderful and i think you know, I, 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 you know, we're both in sales, but we're also big relationship builders, Andy. And I just think I'd really recommend and assert to anybody that's listening that may find it a bit more icky or maybe feel a bit less confident with, with networking. Start with Twitter, you know, or just start with LinkedIn. You know, people yeah. are willing. I, I, I found people yeah, are absolutely. willing to help, but as you yeah, said, with an open mind and an open heart and not to want something. And I think it just transforms experience. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, for, for all of us, you know, reaching out to people shouldn't start with the words, would you like to buy my product? You know, it's not about that. It's absolutely not. Um, but you, you're dead right. that The times I've actually contacted people or posted something for, for assistance, the, the amount of times and the, the response that you get back is tremendous. It's, it's not one or two people. It's, it's a great response. So, yeah. And uh, if people want to start by connecting with me or you, I'm sure that'd be fantastic. And then um, hopefully we can help others build their networks as well. No, awesome. As we start to wrap up, Andy, what are those details for people? What's the best way for people listening to us to reach out to you, to connect with you and learn a bit more about you personally and, and people first? Uh, so I, um, I go on LinkedIn and Twitter every day. Um, if anybody wants to, to find me on Twitter, 
at Mustard1973. Uh, you'll find me on there and on LinkedIn, you'll find me but just by having the Google of uh, Andy Davis. Um, but yeah, please reach out to me on there if you want to have a, find out a bit more about People First. Our website is people-first.com. And again, you'll find the articles that I've posted and uh, some of the, uh, the, the general posts that I put on both of those accounts, you'll find linked into uh, People First. That's amazing. And look, just one more uh, random question, Andy, that yeah. I enjoyed this afternoon. <laughs> who, who or what is inspiring you the most right now? And it could be anything. Just really intrigued. Who or what? Um, oh, I think, I think the, I'll answer both, okay. The, the what, for me, that's inspiring me and makes me really look closely is actually the drive to have electric cars. Because okay. I actually think the technology that's going to go into that to solve a global problem is actually going to, well, first of all, it will affect all of us, but I actually think very much like the space race, I look forward to the what comes out of it. What's the side benefits of this whole electric, you know, how do we get batteries that do more than 200 miles? Because that's people's concern. Mm. Um, so yeah, the, the, the what is, is the whole electric vehicle thing. Might be a bit random, but it's a random Ooh. question. Um, <laughs> and, and, and the who, um, you, you know, I, there's a whole variety of people in the world that I love following, um, whether it's you know, HR people like Dave Ulrich, who just day after day just still comes out with some gems of information. Uh, I, think, I still think that there's a lot of people out there with some amazing uh, HR information that is still yet to be shared. So for me, I'm still looking out for the next person. Uh, that what a wonderful wonderful message well andy you've been an absolute joy thank you so much for spending the time and uh, i look forward to speaking to you again soon gary can't wait thanks very much for your time take care bye-bye bye-bye hi there just gary turner here wrapping up this excellent conversation with andy davis a few of my takeaways i wanted to, to share with you one in particular is around this personalization of work. This is really a big theme for me right now. I talk a lot about Rich Cooper and um, Rob Baker, who do a lot of work around job crafting. But Andy spoke about this, everybody's different. Trying to take a process and force people through a process, you're going to break something, either the people or the process. However, it's normally the people that get broken. Just think about that for a second, if, if I can ask you to do that. You know, whatever situation, wherever you sit within an organization, whatever your role is, is the process ruling the ability for the human to contribute? Something to, to think about. I think quite often that is the case. I also enjoyed listening to Andy talk about the fact that a dissenter is merely a voice that you should go and actually listen to and work out why. Where is that dissent coming from? And I think this is definitely something around vulnerability, something around courage, is quite often the loudest voice in the room gets heard certainly my experience and that voice tends not to be challenged but we can do it in a non-violent way it can be a debate it can be healthy so next time you come across a dissenter why not take them to a side have a word with them afterwards or even if it's safe enough to do so have the conversation there and then and just ask you know what is it what's coming up for them why do they feel the way that they do you know is it rooted in facts is it rooted in hearsay is it rooted in anecdotal evidence it's certainly worth trying to, to, to get those dissenting voices out onto the table I also enjoyed hearing about the fact that Andy said that by giving people 
the ability to check in more regularly with their manager, to have that one-to-one -one conversation, to record the outcome of those conversations using their people's people first system. That actually creates the safety for people because it builds a data set that over time the individual can review with their line manager and say, hey, this is how I felt in flow then. This is what was going on for me at that time. This is why I felt good. This is why I felt bad. This is what a challenge was for me. So I'm really liking this idea that logging data that comes from safe, regular conversations between line manager and line report can actually build a data set that creates safety. Um, I've never thought about technology aiding safety in the past in that way. So loads and loads of really good things in here. Uh, I think the last thing I'd like to wrap up with is around paying it forward. So talking about building network groups, talking about how can you give to somebody else without wanting something to receive. I believe that, that I try to role model that quite a lot within my network. I love connecting new people. If you're listening to this conversation now and you'd like to connect with somebody new and maybe you don't have the confidence to reach out to other people, drop me a line, direct message me today. Let me know what you took away from this message and the type of person you'd like to connect with. And I'd love to try and facilitate that connection for you, the listener. So have a great day. As always, we'd really appreciate your feedback, particularly via the Apple iPod um, podcast app. It would just help us reach more people. If you feel this conversation is helpful, giving us a review will help us reach more people and hopefully serve them as well. So have a lovely day, evening or morning, wherever you are in the world. My name is Gary Turner. and This is Value Through Vulnerability. Thank you really hoping that you enjoyed that exploration on the value through vulnerability podcast you can find out much more about hexo change at hexochangenow.com that's h-e-x-o change now one word dot com you can subscribe to a weekly newsletter at that website which includes information about live stream conversations further service offerings blogs but also our in-person events of which we have multiple each year. So I really hope that you'll join us. Do connect with me, Gary Turner on LinkedIn, and I really hope to hear from you soon.